the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're not only to relate to the government that way, but we are to uh, not slander Hagans with our speech, even if we disagree with them. We are to be engaged in good deeds. We are to not be argumentative. We are to be yielding of our rights, and we are to have a humble spirit. Those are the responsibilities Paul said that we have towards unbelievers. I'm not sure who wrote this little poem, but I like it. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common folk like you and me are the builders of eternity? To each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules, and each must make, ere time is flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is teaching us from the third chapter of the book of Titus. How do we live godly lives in this godless world? For one thing, we must demonstrate the love of Christ to those lost souls He wants to save. Let's listen as Pastor Steve shares some motivations for loving the unlovely. story is told of evangelist D.L. Moody that one day when he saw a drunken man on the street, he made this remark. He said, except for the grace of God, there lies D.L. Moody. See, Mr. Moody never forgot that he, who he really was. He never forgot that he was a wicked sinner saved by the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the kindness of God. And it was this realization that Moody had that kept him from having an attitude problems toward the unsaved. He was an evangelist dealing with the lost all the time, and uh, and yet he was never condescending towards them. He, he loved non-Christians, and he understood that he was no better than anyone else, and that if it wasn't for God's love, his kindness, he would still be lost, and that God wanted him to love sinners who acted like sinners. In fact, he once wrote these words. He said, now there are a great many that have got truth, but they don't hold it in love. And they are very unsuccessful in working for God. They are harsh, and God cannot use them. Now let us hold, he wrote, the truth but let us hold it in love. That attitude and perspective that uh, D.L. Moody had towards lost sinful people is precisely in keeping with Paul's teaching in Titus chapter 3. And I'd like you to turn, if you haven't already, to Titus chapter 3. If uh, you're visiting, perhaps you don't have a Bible, look on with the person next to you. But Titus chapter 3, and I'd like to read to us verses 1 through 8. It's really one section in this last chapter of Titus. Paul wrote, beginning at verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish, foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, but... When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, 
not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Now we know this, that Titus in the big picture is a letter about godly behavior as believers. We are to have godly behavior. Uh, we, we've gone throughout this letter. We've seen that our behavior is to be godly in the church. Leaders are to be godly. In chapter 2, our behavior is to be godly not only in the church, but also in the home as we interact with the people that we're closest to. And now in chapter 3, Paul broadens it a little bit to say that you are to be uh, godly in the world, in the pagan society, in a secular workplace, and uh, relating to secular government. And as believers in Christ, we're called to love the unlovely. We're called to love pagans in a pagan society. And in the first two verses, which we've looked at in the last few weeks, Paul gives seven responsibilities that we have towards uh, government uh, of, a, of a secular people and the people in that society. We're to be submissive towards the government. We're to be obedient to them. Uh, we've gone over this before. We're not only to relate to the government that way, but we are to uh, not slander uh, pagans with our speech, even if we disagree with them. We are to be engaged in good deeds. We are to not be argumentative. We are to be yielding of our rights, and we are to have a humble spirit. Those are the responsibilities, Paul said, that we have towards unbelievers. But you know what? Quite frankly, this isn't easy. It's easy for me to get up here and tell you to do this, but it's really a challenge for us. It's one of those things we say, it's, yeah, easier said than done. It is not easy to get along with people who sometimes are very cantankerous, uh, people who are at times nasty, people who are at times very hard on us, people who are at times very negative and stubborn and argumentative. Their lifestyles, their values are completely opposite ours, and yet we're called to love them, to be kind to them, to be gracious to them. We're called to get along with them. Now, if if you struggle along these lines of having a godly, humble spirit towards those who couldn't care less about your godly, humble spirit and uh, and your proper behavior, uh, then you, you need some help. I need some help in this area. And that's precisely what Paul gives after giving us the commands in verses 1 and 2. From verses 3 through 8, he gives us motivations and reasons why we are to love the unlovely. And this is the kind of stuff that we need to fall back on when we're having difficulty, when we're having a hard time loving people who are not particularly easy to love, you need to know these reasons because Paul not only commands us to respond properly to pagans, but he gives reasons why we should. Why should you treat people who uh, are not easy, treat them well, not easy to get along with? Why should you treat that neighbor of yours who's nasty? Why should you treat them in a nice way? Why should you do good deeds towards them? Or how about that demanding boss? Why, why respond properly towards a demanding boss? Or how about that know-it-all relative who loves to put you down for your Christian faith and everything else that they can put you down for? And, and your stomach just turns inside and you feel like doing anything but being nice to a person like this. That's when you need to remember what we're going to study today. And Lord willing, next week. You need to fall back on these things. So if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do it, uh, we're going to look at uh, the passage's three reasons for being kind to the unkind. Now this morning, we'll look at one in depth. 
we'll touch upon two, and then next week we'll look at the uh, second and third one more in depth. Reason number one, why should we treat the lost with kindness? Number one, because we were once like them. We were once like them. Notice as we begin our study, verse 3, Paul writes, For we also once were. He begins his opening words by telling us really where he's going. And where he's going is here. He's calling us to remember what we were like before we were saved. Most of us, I I take it in this audience, are believers in Jesus Christ. Not all, but most of us are. And uh, we once behaved a certain way, and we shouldn't behave a certain way now. And Paul is trying to, not trying, he is reminding us that we were once just like the people that we now have a hard time loving. That's, that's his point. In other words, what you, uh, what you once were, what was once true of you is still true of the people you have a hard time getting along with. And by just remembering what you were like will help you to be kind and gracious and a little patient towards these folks. One Bible teacher captured the essence of, of what Paul is saying in this verse by applying it to a modern, our modern day situation. He wrote this, rather than resent and slander unbelieving leaders, educators, the media, and people in the entertainment industry, and rather than becoming incensed and venomous in our attacks on the immoral agendas of various organizations and movements, we should remember that we also once were. We also once were like those whom we now are inclined to defame and condemn We were once just like them and would still be like them if it were not for the saving grace of God, which alone delivered us. That's good. That captures the thought of what Paul is saying. Now, before we look at at Paul's description of us before we came to know Christ, we need to ask ourselves uh, specifically, how is this going to help me? Now, I've hinted at it and I said a little bit, but how is this going to help you? Just by knowing what you were like, how is it going to help you? Because the answer is this. As Christians, we tend to expect too much from the world. We tend to expect them to think and behave just like we do now. You don't just behave and, and think like you do now because you decided to. It's the works of, working of God in your life. He's given you a new nature. He's given you his revelation. Those who don't have a new nature and those who don't, don't care about his revelation are not going to have the, the, hold to the same standards as you and I do. But we tend to expect biblical thinking and standards from uh, from people who don't have them and don't care about them because they are acting the way they are acting by their nature. And we need to be reminded of this. Of all people, we should be the most understanding because we have been where they are. We should understand what it's like, but we tend to forget. So uh, we want to look a little bit now at what we were like before salvation. I'm going to remind you of some hard things about you and hard things about me. And if you don't think this was true of you, uh, then either you have a touch of self-righteousness or you've never been born again, because this is true of everybody. And maybe you didn't do all these things outwardly, but inwardly you did. You were at enmity with God. Well, the way you were is the way that uh, that people are today. So Paul gives a sevenfold description of our lives before Christ. Number one, he writes... You were once foolish. We were once foolish ourselves. He includes himself in that. We were once foolish ourselves. And by this, Paul means that before coming to Christ, we had no spiritual understanding. That's what he means by foolish. It means to be ignorant. The word foolish means to be without understanding, total ignorance. 
We didn't understand. Now, let me just reinforce this. If you look at, at Ephesians chapter 4, if you can't get there quickly, I'll just read it to you. Verses 17 and 18. Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Regardless of a person's intelligence, their IQ, their scholastic achievements, their degrees, their education, when it comes to spiritual matters, they are ignorant. There is, a, there is an ignorance that stems from a hardness of heart. Paul says the, the unbelievers walk in the futility of their minds. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says some very strong words concerning the Corinthians who love the Greek philosophers. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The brilliant philosophers of Corinth and Athens and the world today look at the message of the cross and say it is absolutely foolishness that one should believe that a man could die 2,000 years ago and that could accomplish anything in our lives today. And Paul says, the word of the cross to them is absolute foolishness. With all of their learning, it's foolishness to them. And then Paul quotes from the Old Testament, and he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God's taken the wisdom of this world and says it's foolishness. And why is it foolishness? Because with all the wisdom of this world, people can't find peace. People don't have eternal life. People don't have answers to the real cravings of their hearts. And that's why Paul says this, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Even though the world knows the technology to put a man on the moon, they still don't know God who made the moon. He says God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, he writes, Jews seek for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles absolute foolishness. And then Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he said, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Do we understand that? that the unsaved, lost person and the state that we once were in cannot comprehend spiritual truth. Now, he can he can understand when you tell him some, some things. I mean, he can understand the facts of the Bible. We go to uh, Israel and we have tour guides who are very, very knowledgeable about the Scriptures. In fact, they know more about the facts and uh, historical um, truths of the New Testament than, than most believers, but they're not born again. They may be those who believe in the Bible, but they don't know the Lord personally. They may know the facts, the figures, the information, the archaeological details, the culture of the day, but they have not really understood it. They have not really received it. It's not truth that they embrace, and that's what Paul means. It's not something that spiritually they receive. 
First Peter 1.14 speaks about, don't be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. We were once ignorant. You see, brilliant minds do not equate with spiritual understanding. Let me just give you two illustrations of that. One from the Bible, one from uh, modern history. If, if being brilliant meant the same thing as spiritual understanding, then we have a problem because Satan was the highest angel and he was brilliant. Son of the morning star. And Satan, with all his brilliance, was the most rebellious. How about in modern history? I remind you of Nazi Germany, the most intellectually, scientifically, and culturally advanced nation of their time, and yet the atrocities that came out of Nazi Germany. Being intelligent does not equate with spiritual understanding. So we need to we need to remember this. You need to look at at people who promote new age philosophy, abortion on demand, homosexuality, pornography, and and all that kind of stuff. And you need to have some compassion. Certainly not lowering our standards. Certainly not excusing that, but have some understanding that they don't comprehend God's revelation and His wisdom. They are incapable. Of understanding. And that's why, you know, I, I see people who go on these debate shows, either on radio, Christians on radio or, or television, and they're debating unbelievers. And I'm thinking, what are you doing that for? I mean, how do they even have the capacity to understand? You're just made to look foolish anyway, because the host knows how to turn things on you. I mean, he's been trained in that. He's not on television because he's an idiot. He knows what he's doing. Um, unbelievers don't understand. They are incapable of it. It's, it's foreign to their thinking because their thinking is hardened by sin. And and that's the way we were. We were once foolish ourselves. So when you're trying to discuss with somebody you're the high standards of Scripture and they want to argue with you, uh, don't get into an argument about that stuff. You want to share the gospel with them. They're not going to understand where you're coming from, and you should understand where they're coming from, so you should be patient, because they don't have the capabilities of even receiving scriptural truth. And that leads to a second description of uh, unbelievers and the way we were before we were saved. The result of foolish thinking, as Paul says, one word, disobedience. Because they don't understand God's word and they don't understand his revealed will. They rebel against him and are disobedient. Not only to him and his word, but to civil authorities. Could be to parents, could be to teachers, could be to employers. There's there's just a spirit of disobedience. Is that not our age? Our age is, I'm going to do my own thing. That song, which I won't sing to you, I did it my way. I mean, that is the spirit of our age. That's really worldliness. I'm doing it my way. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that you know more than I do, that you've had experience, that I'm doing it my way. That's not just young people. It's everybody. You see, when Paul tells us to be in submission to the government, which he told us in verse 1, it's in complete contrast with the world that we live in. The world that we live in is not in submission to anybody. If they could get away with it, they would never obey any authority. problem is they can't get away with it, so they begrudgingly will submit at times, but not because they want to, but because they know the consequences are pretty rough. But if they could get away with it, they, they would. Now, why are people like this to get away disobedient in in, uh, lawlessness? That's what Paul is really talking about, disobedient with lawlessness, disobedience in society. Why is it that way? Well, I'll tell you. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 15. They've never asked me to uh, come on a uh, late night talk show. I wouldn't do it anyway, I don't think. If you ever see me on there, you'll understand that he changed his mind. But, um, but I don't think I would. But if I ever did have the opportunity to go on there, I'd say, you know, we really don't need to discuss this. Let me just take you to a passage of Scripture. And they'll say, well, we don't, under- we don't accept Scripture. Okay, and see, that's the problem. But if they allowed me to, I'd take them to Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 through 20, and I would tell them why society has these problems. I'm not a politician, don't want to be a politician. Uh, but I could tell them the answers to all of the problems of society. And if they allowed me, I'd tell them the solution too, but they probably cut me off the air. But in chapter 15 of Matthew, verse 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands is not defile the man. Uh, the religious leaders of Christ's day were saying it's so terrible that your uh, your disciples eat uh, eat with unwashed hands and, and they don't do the Jewish ceremonial laws and Jesus said, you have it all wrong. That's not what defiles anybody. It's out of the heart is what defiles people. What people need are new hearts. That's why you don't want to reform society. That's the whole point. You don't want to just make this a quote-unquote Christian nation, which you can't do anyway. You don't want to just pass biblically moral laws and legislate it upon people. Jesus said the reason this stuff is going on is because of the heart. The the human nature is sinful. It's in rebellion towards God. You know what? You were like this before you were saved. I was like this. Now, maybe you didn't practice some of these things outwardly. Maybe if you could have gotten away with it, you would have. But maybe you didn't practice these things outwardly, but your heart was at enmity with God. You hated God. Once in a while, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody or someone's telling me their testimony, they'll say, I've always loved God. I just didn't know that much about him, but I've always loved God. And I think, um, that's not true. That's not true. Nobody's always loved God. We were born into this world hating God. Now, you may love a God that you created in your mind. You may love a God that, uh, that, that you've come up with. But you didn't always love God. How do I know that? Because Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. He's talking about all unbelievers here. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. We were at enmity with God, which means you hated God. You hated the God of the Bible. And your heart was in rebellion towards him. Now, this doesn't excuse the unsaved for their disobedience, and and certainly I wouldn't want anybody to think that, that because we're saying, hey, this is the way they are, that we just excuse it and say, well, they can have all the low standards that they want. It doesn't excuse that. But it should help us to be understanding and patient and kind and gracious to them because we've been where they are. We understand this. Why does it blow our minds when sinners act like sinners? We shake our heads. Could it get any worse? Yeah, it sure could. It sure could and it sure will. And I don't think we're going to be around for the tribulation, but if you're around for the tribulation, it's going to get worse than ever because it's in the human heart. Disobedience. Paul gives a third description. He says deceived. They were deceived and we were deceived, he said. The word carries, the word deceived, carries with it the thought of being led astray by a false guide. A false guide wandering from the truth of God. It isn't that you just woke up and you were deceived, but somebody led you astray. That's the way we were before we were saved. 
who led us astray, who deceived us. Well, Revelation 12, 9 tells us about our adversary, speaking of Satan, the one who deceives, it says, the whole world. In the tribulation, he will deceive the whole world, but he deceived us before we came to know him. Matthew 24, 4 says false Christs and false prophets will arise and, and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Believers during the tribulation will not be deceived, but if it were possible, they would be. Why? Because Satan will raise up all kinds of false messiahs and false prophets because he is the deceiver. Do you remember at the beginning of mankind, he deceived Eve in the garden? The Bible says that Adam was not deceived. What well, he, he knew exactly what he was doing, but Eve was deceived. And he continues to deceive the sons and daughters of Eve. So we should be compassionate toward the unsaved because they have been deceived just as we once were. Pastor Steve Kreloff will conclude this two-part message on our next Verse by Verse. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, call us at 727-239-0306 and order a CD or cassette. Steve Kreloff is the pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his practical messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Visit us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will further explore this first reason to be kind to the lost, the fact that all of us were lost at one time. I hope you can join us. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.